When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, your award-winning Premier League podcast. And you can vote for us in the 2023 Sports Podcast Awards too by heading to the website sportspodcastgroup.com and casting your vote today. This weekend in the top flight, we saw the return of angry Antonio. Conte raged at his players after Spurs let a two-goal lead slip against bottom side Southampton. After the game, he didn't hold back, but did he go too far? Will he pay for his rants with his role as manager? He's out of contract in the summer anyway, and did he have a point after all? It was also FA Cup quarter final weekend, Mitrovic madness after shoving a ref he saw red in a mad evening in Manchester. Plus, we'll have a Monday moan today and discuss some of the things that have wound us up over the weekend. My name's Niall, this is Football Social Daily, and I realised this morning that the abbreviation for our Monday moan feature, Get In The Sea, is actually Gits, which is quite appropriate because we've got two old Gits in the studio, Marley and Jim. Morning, boys. Good morning. Good morning, indeed. Right, we're going to start by getting things off our chest. We're going to start by having a moan. What's annoyed you over the weekend because there was lots of football to take in what has wound you up over the course of the last couple of days Jim none of those things what's wound me up hasn't actually really happened yet actually but it's gonna happen and that's what's winding me up because it's the international break this week (laughs) the international break never falls at the right time for West Ham or just generally for anyone I don't know if it's possible for it to fall at the right time it just always seems like an unnecessary distraction in the middle of a really exciting bit of Premier League football and it happens every single time. Here we are, most exciting Premier League season in years, I think. Everyone's getting excited, both ends of the table. If you're an Arsenal fan or a City fan, you just can't wait for the next game, how many goals they're going to score, the exciting attacking football. If you're down the wrong end of the table, like West Ham are, then you just want to get it over with. You just want to get all the games out of the way, forget about the season, move on to the next one, learn your fate. But here we are, Middle of this season, just as we get to the sharp end, just as everything's heating up and we've got a week without football because of international games that no one really cares about. I had to Google this morning who the international games were against because I had no idea. I hadn't got a clue who England was supposed to be playing. It's Italy and someone else's. Italy Italy and Ukraine Ukraine are the two. They're good games though. They are good games. That's the problem. They're they're decent fixtures. But we'll talk about them later, I'm sure. But I still just don't really care. And I think part of this, I think... Like Gareth Southgate doesn't help himself here in terms of building up excitement to these games because <laughs> his uninspiring nepotistic, nepotistic is that even a word? Is nepotistic is a word? Um, 
selection of the squad means we're not going to see anything new in these games. We're not really going to learn anything from them. It's going to be the same old England games. And they're important games, they're qualifiers. So they, they need to have a little bit of attention on them. But I just, I just don't really want the international break to come at this moment. I understand they've got to happen. They're important games. They need to happen. They're qualifiers. They've got to be somewhere in the diary. And I don't know if you put them anywhere in the diary, they'd feel like they were the right time. If it was the end of the season, you'd be going, oh, the players just need a rest. If it was like over Christmas, you'd be going, oh, it should be a Christmas break, whatever. Then well, we, had, never we had international right games at the end of last season, didn't we? Yeah. Do you remember that? They may be in like June or something. You oh, know, the, the Premier League, League. In the Nations League. Yeah, the Premier League ended in May and yeah, the players yeah. were absolutely yeah. on their feet, just dead on their feet, knackered, needing a break. And then yeah. we had these international games pop got up. got battered by Hungary, didn't they? For if you're a team like Manchester City, for example, at the moment, at this stage in the season, now, most of Man City's players will be involved in the international break in mm. some regard. Mm. They've got the FA Cup to play. Yeah. They've got the Premier League title race to look at. They've got Champions League qualification or Champions League that that they're desperate to win as well. Add a load of international fixtures into that. Yeah, it just yeah. it just feels like really inadvised timing again. I think if you're Pep Guardiola or Mikel Arteta, you're bricking it, aren't you? Yeah, really. Especially if you're Mikel Arteta. You want to pull a Fergie and get on the phones to the international managers and tell the players that they're injured. <laughs> yeah, well, I wonder whether we might see a few injuries that sure pop up here and there. Yeah. Um, I mean, you already said, I think was the squad was announced last week and within, uh, I think it was within 24 hours, Mason Mount had pulled out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you need the football, mate. You need to play. But that's international football for you, isn't it? It's been such a congested season as well. And we've talked about this with the World Cup being in place yeah. right the way through since it kicked off. We knew it was going to get crazy. Mm. So sticking an extra two games in the diary at this stage yeah. when it's so important that players do maintain fitness and when players will be starting to fatigue and starting to pick up those muscular injuries doesn't seem sensible. You just need to see that with yesterday where when it was just all FA Cup matches on Sunday and then mm. there was just Arsenal playing against Crystal Palace, almost kind of buried underneath the the other action that was taking place. All right, Jim's annoyed about the international break. I'm not because I'm going on holiday for a couple of days. So, <laughs> you know, it's all right by me. I mean, if the players are going to have an international break, and so am I. What about you, Marley? What's uh, What's got your back up? Uh, well, I was going to put something in that, that we're going to talk about later in more depth because it needs more talking about. So I'll leave you on tenterhooks for that one. So that returns me to our old favourite, VAR. It's become and a cliche is, now, hasn't it? VAR in getting the C. It has a bit, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, I don't know whether it's so much VAR, this one, as, as more just the referees like not having a... Just making mistakes with, with the rules set in front of them, which is, I suppose, VAR, because you get to look at it again and make the decision. But obviously this comes from Friday night, um, Newcastle's game against Nottingham Forest, and uh, young Elliot Anderson comes off the bench at half-time um, and scores a goal, which is unbelievable header for for a, a lad not known for his heading. Um, he scores it from Alexander Isak's, Isak's cross, um, and the referee's given offside against Sean Longstaff, despite the Nottingham Forest defender playing the ball. Um, obviously, if you hadn't seen it, it does kind of rely on you seeing the incident, so it's not exactly great to describe on a podcast. But if you see it, you'll know what I mean. Um, the... The fact that you get to see it again and again and you still interpret it wrong is the biggest thing that is against VAR, in, in my opinion. I, 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 I'm not against VAR because I sort of think if you can see it again, you can interpret it right. You know, you can, you can have a second look and go, well, is he offside or does he play it or does he touch it or whatever? But if, you, if you're doing that and still getting it wrong, then that is just 
it defeats the whole point mm. of it. If you're still making mistakes after having a 30 second look at it yeah. or a minute look at it, whatever it might, might be, yeah. it's just ridiculous because in that instance, Felipe, I think it is, the defender for Forrest, clears the ball, therefore making everybody back on back onside because he kicks the ball. He doesn't. It doesn't deflect off him. He means it. He tries to clear it. He he does successfully get a get a touch on it. It hits Longstaff, bounces to Isaac. Isaac puts a cross in. Anderson scores, and you know the referee somehow fails to see it. Pompey played Bristol Rovers on Saturday, and we won two nil. But our first goal was miles offside. Mm. Miles offside. But because we don't have technology in League One, the goal stood. I'm fine with it. You get these decisions all the yeah. time. It's like. Exactly what we've been saying for ages. Marley's right. You've got the technology. We should look at it and we should find the right solution more often than not. But it's just the same as it always was, apart from you've got this kind of middleman, this mediator, which is technology. You know, we've had bad decisions in football for 100 years. Like, Why would it change now just because you've got a computer and but some lines? Marley's right. This is simply a misunderstanding. Like, it's the referees not knowing the rules. Like Normally when VAR were discussing whether a decision's the right way or not, it's an error of judgment. It's kind of like it's a difference of opinion. Yeah, like, could it be a foul or yeah. could it not? Like, but, it's not black and white. Yeah, this, exactly. This should have been. But this is just the rules being yeah. got wrong. And there's a bit, quote from Keith Hackett, who's the former referee's chief, kind of the boss of referees, who said, Under Rule 11, the Forest defender made mm. a deliberate play, therefore Newcastle's player yeah. should not have been ruled offside. Goals should have stood. Yeah. If the pass attempts to gain possession or clearance by the player in control of the ball is inaccurate or unsuccessful, right. this does not negate the fact the player deliberately played the ball. And I like this bit. He goes, incompetence, it's as simple as that. A lack of concentration. Okay, I've just timed there that. That took you 25 seconds just to read the rule. So do we have a bit of sympathy for referees no, here? No, because they should know the rule off by heart. That's yeah, their but job. It's, That's not it's, a complicated it's, bit. It's no, not like I, I an unusual that. scenario where you're going, hang on, this guy's... I understand know, that, but with things like on the pitch, remember the, <laughs> protocol. the Marcus Rashford, Bruno Fernandez goal that was offside but wasn't given in the Manchester derby against Man City was controversial, right? And we had Mark Halsey come on the podcast a couple of days after mm. that incident and explain why he thought the decision was offside. I think it was a case of there should be some sort of system. That, I mean, I'm not asking the referee to have a rule book in front of him and flick through to the right page. I, I do feel a little bit of sympathy for referees. I don't like VAR. But we're getting one argument of it's taking too long to make a decision. Mm. And we've got another argument saying that the referees are incompetent and coming to the wrong decision. And we need to bring the two things closer together. And I don't think it's as easy as people make out. No, well, Yeah, but not. you've got a ref on the pitch who's like making a real-time decision. And then you've got a ref in a truck mm. who should... I mean, his his whole thing, he doesn't have to, um, to officiate the game. He hasn't got anything else in his head other than what's happened just like in the past you know what i mean like mm. he he looks at everything again and then he decides he's not yeah, yeah. he's completely irrelevant and un unrequired to do anything until that moment and then he looks at the replay five times and he goes oh right so if he plays the ball he's in in play and therefore the the sort of offside parameters get reset type of thing i, I do it's have just, some, it's, I, I can't <laughs> understand how you can look at it and then forget a rule like all uh, interpreted that badly I do have sympathy for referees in general with VAR because there is a lot of opinion based stuff that it shouldn't be judging and they're called to make opinions which there's always going to be 50% of the football audience that are going to have a problem with in this scenario as Marley says it's an, a misunderstanding of the rules and you're saying oh there should be help with referees in terms of understanding the rules 
these are full-time professional referees. If they don't know the rules, that is their one purpose right, okay. of being I mean, yeah. on the pitch. I know, like I know, know vaguely this. on this podcast, I say vaguely, I know quite well what I can and can't say. Yeah. It, we would get sued if we said certain stuff. You stand behind this desk every day, as do I. I couldn't tell you what every single one of these buttons or faders does. And I think it's unfair. I know they need to know mm. the rules, and but there are so many rules. Different. You know, you've got Keith Hackett <laughs> saying uh, rule 11.1b. You know, it's like trying yeah, to memorise the Bible yeah, but, or something. No, it's impossible, but, really, but, but to try VAR and remember them, everything. But VAR gives them the time to look it up. Even if, 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 if you know, need But then to, we've got then people saying that it's yeah, taking exactly. too long. If it's taking a, too long if, to like, make like, these decisions. It's a usual scenario with, with the desk in front of you. If right. you're a pilot, then I reckon being a pilot, flying a plane is more complicated than refereeing. If I was a pilot and got in a plane and went, I know what this stuff does. But I'm not sure about this. Yeah, you would not be happy with me flying you on your holiday. At the no, weekend, I would wouldn't. You? <laughs> but also, that stuff over in the corner there, which is gathering dust because no one ever uses it because it never happens. So you just leave it on its own. These are the sorts of rules we're talking <laughs> I want, about. No, I want a pilot to know how to use even the stuff that's <laughs> gathering dust. No, I mean these are the sorts of things we're talking about here. These are rules that never really happen. For instance, if your shin pad's exposed, that's a booking. If you don't cover your shin pads with your sock, that's a booking. Referee will ask you to pull your sock up. If you don't do it and your shin pads are hanging out the whole game, it's a yellow card. There are small, like pulling the corner flag out of the pitch is actually a yellow card. That's why you've seen players stop doing it. They used to do it all the time. Take the corner flag out and kick the ball in from the corner kick. You can't do it because the corner flag is technically part of the pitch. It's why you don't see goalkeepers scuffing up the goal line anymore to make a nice little divot for them to take their goal kicks because it's a yellow card. You can't do it. These are all little rules that are involved in the game that I think people just don't realise exist. And, you know, referees will remember all of these rules, but I just think that sometimes stuff is so rare. But I'm not this, saying that this is that. I was going to say, yeah, this, yeah. yeah, this isn't that. This was, this was basic but it was, yeah. it was just a clangor and yeah, you know yeah, yeah. you can't make clangers if you're looking at mm. it five times right. I under- in real time I could understand why that was given offside and or or not but if it was the in- beach ball scenario from a few years back Sheffield United Liverpool where the ball hits the beach ball and goes in <laughs> then you can yeah. understand that being consulted with when it's a simple offside decision then you can't I think okay yeah. alright well, still that's- the best thing about that was when the question came up on the chase did you ever see that no the chase was um, it was like Darren Bent scored a goal after after the ball hit what, and the the three options were beach ball, uh, I think it was cat and ice cream van, <laughs> and the girl put ice cream van I think. Oh yeah, of course. An ice cream van beyond the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> All right, well that's going in the sea as it often does. Refereeing decisions. Jim, I'm happy about the international break, but next up. On Football Social Daily, we're going to talk about Antonio Conte, who went absolutely ballistic at his players in a post-match press conference over the weekend. Tottenham were leading Southampton by three goals to one. They conceded too late on to walk away from St Mary's with only a three-all draw, and the Italian was not happy. We'll talk about it after this. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Niall Marley and Jim with me. And Antonio Conte lost it at the weekend in his post-match press conference after Spurs 3, Southampton 3. Southampton fighting for survival at the bottom of the Premier League. Tottenham looking to chase down a top four spot. And they were in cruise control until late on in the game they conceded two to only walk out of the South Coast with one point instead of three. And they really should have had three. That led to the Italian going on a bit of a mad one with the press after the game. Have a listen to this. The club paid us a lot of money. The players receive money. Me receive money. You understand? Not to be 
to find excuses and uh, don't have spirit or, or, or don't show the sense of belongings or don't show uh, sense of responsibility because we are showing this and uh, for me this is unacceptable for me because this is the first time in my career to see a situation like this and until now I wasn't able to change not to change but compare last season the situation went to become worst. Why, Antonio? Why do you think it is like this? Why? Bah, I don't know, because they are used here. They are used here. Don't play for, uh, for, uh, for something important. Yeah. And, uh, they don't play, uh, they don't want to play under pressure. They don't want to play under stress. Ah, yeah, it's easy in this way. And Tottenham, Tottenham's story is this. 20 years that there is the owner and never won something. But why? So Antonio Conte there laying everything bare. He is not happy. Some of the things he is saying, like we get paid a lot of money by the club. The players get paid a lot of money by the club. The club is not winning anything for 20 years. There must be a reason behind that. Is this just all born out of frustration? I think... There's an element of frustration about it, clearly, but I think there's also an element of deflection. And we saw this with Jose Mourinho so much during his time. And I think Conte and Jose Mourinho are quite similar in terms of personality types, that he doesn't want the finger pointed at him. And he's come under a lot of criticism and a lot of blame for Tottenham's form this season. And rightly so. I say form. Spurs are still in the hunt for a top four place. Mm. It's not a disaster. How? Somehow. I don't know. No, no idea, idea how it's happened. It's Never seen a worse magic. team be fifth in the league. If, if I was Antonio Conte, I'd be furious. Southampton are bottom of the table. They had them beaten. But he has to take they some of the blame for the that. They had them by the scruff of the neck. some of the blame for that, surely, because but, of the football he's playing. I understand he has to have a proportion of the responsibility. I think in this how scenario, can you say that? In this scenario, it's all the manager's right. fault. It's probably a lack of concentration that's caused them to concede those because it's probably not the way he's set up. But normally, and I think there is a certainly a case to argue that he doesn't set up his team in a way that they are able to take advantage once they've built a lead. They'll get that one they'll lead and then sit back, defend, conserve rather than go on, extend. But yeah, you've got to question the players when they're conceding two late goals to Southampton. So six of one, half a dozen of the other, isn't it? It's like he is frustrated, he is annoyed, but he and the board and the players are a unit and they've all got to take their collective responsibility. He also clearly wants to get the sack. <laughs> so. I don't understand this argument that Conte wants to get the bullet. He's out of contract in two months. I know, but would you rather... Like, for me, if I was getting sacked now, would you? I'd rather take the money now and have a little holiday rather than work two months in a, in a job that I know I'm getting sacked from or, or let go in this instance, you know, and not, no renewal. Why would I stay? Why would I want to stay? If I qualify for Europe, I'm not in Europe next season with this club because I'm going. Mm-hmm. If I'm, um, you know, if I go now, I can negotiate with all the Italian clubs like, like he is. I've, I've no, no doubt in my mind that he used some of his recovery time, which was a month in Italy, from his gallstones and all stuff. No doubt that he, he recovered in a week, two weeks, and then he went for dinner with all the CEOs of Inter, Juventus, probably whoever wants him, whoever wants him back, whoever's thinking about it. 100% him or his agent or his agent or both Okay, definitely well, met them. Do you think, in terms of his next job, though, do you think that what he's done at Spurs this season... Mm. And, and again, it's really difficult to separate what we think about Antonio Conte and Spurs with how they're performing in the league. 
has it damaged his reputation as a manager? Not just in terms in of... In England, yeah. Well, but in general... Think it's not bonkers just... we're talking about Antonio Conte's next job? Because he's, Why aren't he's Spurs not, successful? He's not leaving. He's Why not aren't Spurs, Spurs successful, though? When he went into the job, everyone said, Conte's a winner, he'll get them playing. And he's he said, said that about Mourinho as well, though. Well, this is what he said. He said, I have yeah. seen the managers that Tottenham have had on the bench. You risk to disrupt the figure of the manager and to protect the other situation in every moment. He's referring to the press there, I think putting all of the onus on the manager and not the same players mm. that Tottenham have had throughout these string of managers. He says, until now, I try to hide the situation, but not now, because I repeat, I don't want to see what I've seen today because this is unacceptable and also unacceptable for the yeah, fans. But he said, but not now, because I'm out of, out, out of work in two months. So he doesn't he doesn't care. He's got that safety net of, I'm not going to be here anyway, so I'm going to say it as is. Mourinho said similar sort of um, quotes towards the end of his time, mm. or, or just after, and he was like, this... You know, I can't be when, here. It's not working. And Conte does have a point. Like it isn't. Yeah. It isn't. It isn't just the players. There's something bigger. And you would probably assume that something bigger means Daniel you know, Levy. The ball. Well, yeah. there are reports Daniel outside Levy, the yeah. training ground this morning and from all of the news outlets are the players are expecting Conte to leave sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's the big I've, issue for me, and I think that's what Conte is saying. It's mm. the players. It's the same group of players that couldn't perform under Mourinho, that couldn't perform under Nuno Espirito Santo, that only really performed a couple of seasons under Maurizio Pochettino, and then he yeah, got sacked. If For me, if you look at the, the character of the managers that they've had, Pochettino, Mourinho and Conte, if you take them three, Conte and Mourinho could start a fight in an empty room, and Pochettino is one of the nicest men ever. I think the when you've got that mentality of, of Spurs... They will put, they will down the tools if they are challenged. I don't think it's a, it's a squad that responds well to shouting and screaming. And like Mourinho came in, there's that, there's that thing, um, that little clip of him on the training ground, and somebody's injured or something. And Mourinho says it's in the Spurs documentary. He just goes whiff, and that's it, because it, it's he, he knows that it's not the, there's no fighting mentality there at Spurs. But does that mean they can't win? Not really, because it means... Like, Pochettino, I know he didn't win anything, but he got to the Champions League final, which is huge for a club like Spurs. And he did it by being... Sort of promoting the sort of good nature of the club and having everyone on the same page by being nice to everyone. Mm. Yeah, and by and doing that, that, the owner then never backed him in the following summer window. So they're, exactly. they're all culpable, aren't they? Yeah, so, like, I mean, I'll always take that summer of 2019... The the problem you raise when you're you're nice and nice and nice is the fact that when you get close to something, they all think that's as much as I can do. And I, and you know you seen in that summer, Pochettino left, a couple of big players left. I think uh, did all the way around and Vertonghen. I think they left, Trippier left, and it was like that's it's it's a hard balance to keep because you're being nice to everyone and then you don't win and they all go. Ah, sod it. But we'll is, go. is there a difference now in terms of the makeup of a professional footballer in terms of their mentality? And you look at the successful managers now, and they're not the ranters and ravers and the shouters. They're Pep the, they're, and Arteta definitely get stuck into their players. But I hundred percent. I think it's a different type of. It's a different. It's, it's not a combative aggression. It's almost like a. It's a drive and a desire and a we're in this together and I expect more. It's kind mm. of and Jurgen Klopp's the same. So those three managers, yeah, yeah. they're very different. It's very much about a squad and a community and a togetherness rather than a look. I'm the boss. You will run through walls from me. And I think that's something to do with a shift in psyche. I think modern players, 
just don't react in the same way because they're mollycoddled and they're billionaires and they're, nobody yeah. says no it's, to them and it's all those kind of things that play into now, it. With all the tactical sort of stuff as well, like you can't you can't just be a, a Graham Souness or a, or a Roy Keane who just shouts, yeah. you know, win the ball. Like that's not advice for a, for a modern day player. Win your second ball, it's not advice. Stand there and he'll cover you if you go in that position. That's more advice now that players react to, but I'm not sure what. Spurs have got big problems because, again, they're at this crossroads. Like, what do they do with Kane in the summer? Who comes in in the summer? You know, does does Pochettino come back? Um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a mess, but Conte wouldn't have said what he said if he wasn't out of work in two... We have two months' time and, and okay. already mentally on the beach already. 21st century Spurs, let's call it that. So Daniel Levy bought the club in 2001. So what's that? 22 years this year that he's been the owner of Tottenham Hotspur. They've gone from occasionally qualifying for Europe and seeing Arsenal winning titles, their biggest rivals, and seeing Chelsea winning titles, to having a billion-pound stadium, probably the best stadium in European football, if not world football, don't forget the pint pots that fill up from the bottom. Yeah, that's the pint pots that fill up from the history. bottom. Mm, the cheese the room. Track, <laughs> yeah. To win one trophy in that time, 2008. Yeah. If we're taking that as a synopsis, as a cross-section of Tottenham Hotspur history, why are we expecting them to win anything anyway? No. And why are what well, I mean what what are their expectations? They want to win a trophy because they're in the Champions League every now and again. Spurs are. But they've never done it. A big so, club inverted commas. But then you look at the clubs around them and the amount of investment in playing stuff and you go like, like Arsenal, Man City, Manchester yeah. United, Newcastle now. Yeah, yeah. Even Liverpool. But our Spurs I, I'd are, wager have outstripped them in terms of transfer investment. Are Spurs a big club just in name? Because I think of Spurs... Well, yeah, some, there's quite a lot of letters in Tottenham. <laughs> you think of someone like Roma, for example, in Serie A. Less letters. <laughs> right? A club from the capital. Roma, a huge club with a big manager and a big stadium. Nowhere near as good as Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, obviously. But yet they've not really won any trophies. They won the Europa Conference last year. That should be one, a tap-in for a club one like Spurs. Serie A, was it 2000 with Totti? Won Serie A in the last 20 years. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, we're talking about, when you think about clubs who win trophies in Italy domestically, clubs who perform for Italy in the Champions League, you don't really think of Roma. And I think Spurs is the English equivalent. I are think they, they're in the exact same boat. Are they in a similar situation, albeit slightly more successful, to Newcastle? In terms of, they are set up beautifully to be a team that should be winning stuff and should be competing for the Premier League. They've got a fan base, they've got a stadium, they've got a history. What, so we should be competing for the Premier League, should we? <laughs> You will, well, you will be. Well, we're doing point. a better job. When have Spurs ever league? competed for the Premier well, League? People, uh, yeah. people, once, people and they came, bottled it. They came third in the two-horse race, didn't they? Yeah. But, but people have said for like years, like a decade or so, Newcastle are a sleeping giant, and Spurs are in a similar situation. Actually, probably if someone came in, if they got a Middle Eastern investor who threw money at that football club, yeah, they'd easily be competing because they've got everything else is there, everything else is set up, and then you go, who's blame? Who's who's culpable? That then comes back to the the board and the ownership and Daniel Levy. Because if you're going, well, a new ownership would take this club to a next level, then then surely the problem is the old ownership. I mean, the ownership question is a big one when it comes to Spurs. I mean, we see these banners outside the ground, Enoch out and stuff like that. And I know Conte has come out this morning and actually clarified his comments from the weekend saying that he wasn't referring to the owners. I think he was just referring to the club 
in general. But I, I don't know what happens next at Tottenham. I mean, Marley might be right. Could we see Pochettino back in the building? Because yeah, Conte I'd... is out of contract in the summer, and let's face it, he's not going to stay, is he? Yeah, I'd not put, at this I'd rate. Put pretty much all the money I own on Pochettino replacing. Yeah. You know, and problem, just running it back, basically. The, the problem there is, though, every all the work that Pochettino did to get Spurs to that point is gone. Mm. It's like but, four yeah, years but it, dis- it disappeared need- three months after they yeah. got to the Champions <laughs> League final. I think you needed that. I think you need, a, you need a break. You need to start again. If you're going to go back to the same, the old manager, you can't have the old squad as well because... But we've you know, seen how long it takes in the Premier League to rebuild. Yeah. We've seen how long it takes. Manchester United just slowly stepping their way back. Liverpool took them a long time to get anywhere they've got a really good squad though so mm. but they you might know, not still... they might not have in the summer they might lose some of those players maybe will Antonio Conte still be in charge of Spurs by the end of the season will he still be in charge by the end of the day because some suggestions are that he could be on his way out pretty soon we'll keep you up to date of course here on Football Social Daily but next up we're going to talk about the FA Cup quarter final weekend some of the Premier League matches that took place as well and a mad moment for Mitrovic at Manchester United we'll talk about it after this <laughs> Welcome back to Football Social Daily, final part of Monday's show. And if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss any of our future episodes here on FSD, including any of those with former Premier League players. And we've got Jeremy, a former Cameroon international, a two-time Premier League winner with Chelsea and also played in the top flight with Middlesbrough and Newcastle as well. He'll be our guest on Wednesday, so hit subscribe and that way you won't miss it. But instead of looking forward... We're going to look back now at some of the action over the course of the weekend. And it was FA Cup quarter final weekend, as we've already touched upon. And the big news came yesterday at Old Trafford because there was utter chaos when it comes to Fulham, who I think in the space of about 265 seconds (laughs) pressed the self-destruct button and completely imploded. Willian was sent off for a handball on the line, stopping the ball going in the net. Then Marco Silva, the Fulham manager, was given his marching orders by the referee before Alexander Mitrovic then put his hands on the referee to get himself dismissed as well. It was chaotic, to say the least, wasn't it, Marley? It was total chaos. (laughs) Um, And it is absolutely no um, surprise that it was Alexander Mitrovic at the centre of this (laughs) chaos. Completely unnecessary, though, as well, because it's like, what what were Silva and Mitrovic complaining about exactly? Well, this this was my point. Like, you know, at at first glance, it looks like Willian. It looks contentious. Then you see a replay. Then you Mm. see, oh, Willian's handballed it. And then the whole debate comes, oh, was his hand too near near his knee? He was on the bloody goal line. (laughs) You cannot... You can't really argue that that's definitely not a red, especially to the point that Marco Silva does, and then Mitrovic, who, who carries it on. I mean, you know, as a Newcastle fan, I've known Mitrovic for like ten years as a player, and he he got he got churned out of Newcastle because not because he wasn't good enough, because he clearly was, but Rafa Benitez just couldn't trust him, mm. and he he just became a. Um, a target for referees with his, you know, if a, if a defender just bound him up, just one, like 10%, not even, let's say you lose your head at 80%, 10%, that's all you needed. And Mitrovic would just go bang, self-destruct, yellow card at least, usually, but easily a red. Like he's, Diego Costa. He's one of those people who could start a win. fight in an empty room, isn't he? 100%. And I thought he'd calm down me. I thought he'd... You know, since he come back into the Premier League and he started scoring goals this time round, I thought this is this is Mitrovic a little bit more mellow, mm. channeling his energy into just being a nuisance of a striker and getting in positions and being physical but not too physical. 
And then this happens, you know, Fulham were, Fulham were pretty comfortable. Man United weren't, you know, like on like banging on the door, definitely going to equalise. Fulham were pretty comfortable. Mm. And, and that meltdown, you know, Willian's getting sent off no, no matter what because he's, he's handballed it on the line, so he's obviously getting sent off. But for them to, the manager and, and Mitrovic, to to go to that level is is complete self-destruction. And Fulham got what they deserved, which was losing the game after losing the Reds like that. I do think Mitrovic is one of those players that he kind of thrives on that energy and he needs that as part of his game. He has to be on the game. line. Yeah, whereas Diego Costa's slightly different, I think. I think Diego Costa was just a bit of a <laughs> and he kind of enjoyed <laughs> just a little bit of that gamesmanship and trying to get the best out of his opposition, whereas I think Mitrovic seems to be a player that just kind of thrives off that energy, that yeah. kind of like needing to be 100% pumped all the time and just on the brink of complete mental collapse. That seems to be when he's at his best. But with that, yeah. you get moments like he did in the United game. Yeah, it's just, I mean, don't quite know how the the, um, the suspension rule works now because I, I think it transfers to the Premier League. Yeah. So now he's been sent off. So he's three games without him, three games without Willian. And I'm assuming, do, do managers get a suspension from the touchline? Yeah, I, I think it would just be one game for Willian because of the handball. Oh, yes. And I think with Mitrovic, because he... Put his hands on an violent official. contact. It contact. Could, yeah. even be, could even be worse if they want to make an example. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. A couple of weeks back, we saw Bruno Fernandez kind of just flick a linesman out of the way, and that caused a few waves as to whether he should have put his hands on the official. And the argument from Mark Halsey, who came on the podcast shortly after that incident, was that the official actually put his hands on Bruno Fernandez first. Mm. This Mitrovic incident, he does shove the official. He shoves the referee and. It's a dangerous precedent to set, isn't it, Jim, if we don't retrospectively ban Mitrovic for that action? It is, but also I think the calls for him to be banned for 10 games, the second mention of for Keith Hackett today, I think <laughs> he was talking earlier on a radio programme I was listening to saying, oh, he should be banned for 10 games, that's it, he should be punished. And that feels like a little bit extreme. But you've got to rewind to the last incident when there was, well, the last incident I can remember where a player was banned significantly for touching a referee, <laughs> Paolo Di Canio. Paolo pushing Di Canio. Over that Paul was 1998, Alcock. by the way. Someone said Paul Alcock is still falling after <laughs> going down in <laughs> well, installments. I think there you've got to credit the referee slightly in this scenario because he doesn't really make much of the of the shove. And, yeah. and, and I think he even shoves kind of a bit of a strong term for what happened. He was kind of like, grabbed his arm to try and turn him and get his attention pretty much. Yeah, He doesn't really react to it in any way. He just goes, that's it, red card. And I think there's much more threatening things that have happened to referees on a football pitch recently that haven't involved a player touching the referee. Mm. So I'd say when you go and scream inches from a referee's face and tell them to F off, I'd say that was a more threatening gesture than it was grabbing someone's arm. And those incidents go unpunished Every month we see one of them in the Premier League. I guess the argument is, yes, it's only a shove and the everything needs to be proportionate when it comes to bans and suspensions and stuff. But I guess the argument is, if Mitrovic is only going to get a three-game ban for pushing the referee, what might that lead other players to do when they uh, see the well, red no, mist no, in no, the future? No, three games is a pretty significant uh, I think, yeah, but you get Three the... games when you've got ten games left, I think I think that's that's a significant portion. Mm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to it being four or five, but yeah, does he... You know, is it is it bad enough? I, I it is bad. You know, you you set an example. You people are saying on online and stuff that um, if Bruno Fernandez hadn't got away with his linesman push, Mitrovic wouldn't have shoved him. Have you met Mitrovic? He would have shoved him anyway. If that was his grandma refereeing, he'd have probably ankle tapped her on the way back to the <laughs> back to the, the, the penalty spot or whatever. But you know, it's 
I don't know. It's um, you can't go too far. He didn't assault the referee. He was just far too over the line. I mm. think three games is. I think the referee, as you right. mentioned, Jim, dealt with it the right way. He yeah. didn't speak to him. He just pulled the card out and went. That's it. You're, you're off. gone. Yeah. And then Mitrovic continued to scream in his face, which yeah. probably, which I'd say was probably worse. I'd rather have someone grabbing my arm than I would have someone screaming inches from my face. But. Yeah. I mean, there's fringe punishments to this as well, isn't there? Yeah, they've got the three-match ban. They're going to miss a key player or two key players. If you catch in count Willian as well, will be out for a game. They've also lost the manager on the touchline. They will get a fine from the FA for failing to control their players off the back of that. Yeah. And they're out of the FA Cup, which probably wouldn't have happened or certainly might not have happened should they not have received those two red cards. So we're not on board then with some of the calls for a 10-game ban. We don't think <laughs> that that's... It's over. It's over the no. top, and it's it's a bit silly. Like like Marley says, he he didn't assault him. If he grabbed him by the collar, I think that might yeah be a little bit more significant. Style or even stuff, had been yeah. squaring up to him and pushed him in a face to face confrontation. I think that would have felt very different than it actually does. But I heard the discussion around it before I saw the replay of the video, and I mean I thought he got a chair out the stand and whacked it over his head WWE style or something like that because it certainly wasn't as bad as a lot of the commentators were making out. He was yeah. trying to intimidate the referee with what yeah, he was trying to do. Me. I'd have been intimidated, Christ. 28-year-old, six-foot-two Serbian coming at me like that. He, he was trying to intimidate him, but I don't think the intimidating bit was the bit that we're arguing about where he touches him. I don't think that's the intimidating part of his... No, the, the intimidation comes after it, Yeah, it? exactly. Because he, he squares him up, he and gets in his face. Yeah, and... Yeah. and it, so you can't really say the arm thing or the grab or the shove or whatever you want to call it. You can't say that was the intimidation. Mm. So either you're punishing... No, but that's what he got the red card for. Yeah, so you're either punishing him for intimidation, in which case that's stuff that players get away with every week, or you're punishing him for touching the referee, which I think is the important issue because that's the thing you're not allowed to do. That's the sacramount bit. And yeah. it doesn't feel like that part is worth a significant ban. You mentioned Mitrovic at Newcastle having disciplinary problems. He has tightened things up during his time at Fulham. Yeah. I don't think he's been sent off. I, I think I heard someone suggest, and I don't know the stats, so it could be completely wrong, that that was the first time he's been sent off in ages or the first time he might have even been sent off. <laughs> That's a very accurate stat. <laughs> um, so, you know, I just wonder whether that, yeah. that might come into it a little bit, that, you know, he doesn't have as much form for it. One of my favourite quotes there, from the weekend, though, is from Marco Silva. <laughs> this is what Marco Silva said after the game. I'm not going to lie. I didn't say he was a really nice guy and the decision was fair, <laughs> but he didn't hear me because <laughs> nobody heard what he said. It was kind of null and void. That's the modern day. If a tree falls in the woods and doesn't, it, and, doesn't know, and no one hears it, yeah. does it make a sound? Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, I guess Marco Silva's forgot that the fourth official has got a microphone strapped to his cheek. <laughs> he probably did hear it loud and clear. Uh, OK, so Manchester United are three in the FA Cup. One thing that I was going to put in the sea, but I decided against it, was why do teams go to Manchester City and try and outplay them at their own game? I mean, Burnley have been amazing this season mm. under Vincent Company, but he should know better than anyone no. not to turn up to the Etihad and try and outpass them and outplay you them at their own change, game. Though. Yeah, not, 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 not for one one-off match to get you to a semi-final at Wembley. No, I, I've, I, dis- I just don't understand why there's no te- tactical flexibility these days. Why can't you ask the players just to dig in for one game? I kind of get what you're saying. They might lose 2-0 instead of 6-0. I think I, I get what you're saying in terms of like, do you shut up shop for one game? Do you suddenly park the bus? It's one match. And then they could have had Manchester United, Sheffield United, mm. Brighton in the next stage of I don't, the I don't FA know Cup how, semi-finals. I mean, I've no idea how easy it is to kind of coach that kind of thing into a team where you've been 
getting them to play this kind of expansive football season and suddenly you go, right, lads, we're going to abandon all our principles, we're going to park the bus, we're going to get through. I don't know how easy it is to make that flip for a professional footballer. You'd think it would be within their ability to do that. Hmm. But I think the important thing from that game is there's an important lesson there for Vinnie Company, who will be a Premier League manager next season, whether it's with Burnley or with someone else. He will be in the Premier League. Yeah. And he's got to look at that performance and go, okay, so if we give another team a chance in the Premier League if we have that openness to our play and we make mistakes they will be punished and we will be ripped to shreds and if they play like that against any of the top 12 Premier League clubs they'll finish rock bottom on the table they're not going to play City every season no but they'll finish dead bottom if they play like that I think he's actually done this as he he knows they're going to get battered playing like that but I think he's he's probably stuck to his guns because he wants to show his players the level. Like, mm. you think you're good in the championship, right? We'll, we'll play like this and we'll get battered. We're not going to win the bloody FA Cup anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, they won game from Wembley. I don't, I, I don't... I see what you're saying if it was the second round of the Carabao Cup and they yeah, came up against I'd, Man City, but this is the FA Cup quarter-final. If they'd shut up shop, would they have beaten City? No, but they wouldn't have lost <laughs> 6-0. Yeah, well, defeat's a defeat, though, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I suppose I, so. I just, I just think he's probably gone... Do you know what? Like, if it works, amazing. But yeah. if it doesn't work, we're going to learn such a lesson in how mm. much quicker we need to pass the ball. Like, we're passing it... I mean, Burnley have 80% possession in the in the championship most weeks, and that's why they're... Are they 10, 10 clear, 9 clear, something like that? Um, but there's there's a level above, and then there's a level above again. Mm. One to the... Level above to the Premier League, then another level above to Man City, because they're on a different planet compared yeah. to everyone else. And that's what Burnley and company are going to try and, in like, sort of instill into the group and that's I think you learn way more in defeat than you do in victory and that is going to be huge for them I think Do you think that it's possible for Vincent Company to bring Burnley up and play with the principles that he wants them to play with without significant investment because I think the closest comparison we could look at would be Norwich City who tried to do that who tried to play open football in the Premier League because it worked in the Championship mm. and they went straight back down again. They need investment. That's that's the thing. Yeah, You've, yeah. Uh, I don't know how I don't know what Burnley's finances are like these days. I assume not that much. Well, because... they've been placed under transfer embargo. Yeah, that's... so they actually can't sign any players at the moment. Yeah, it's. I mean, we've seen we've seen teams, haven't we? Come up, try and play football. Norwich did it. Fulham went down twice doing it, pretty much. Bournemouth stayed up for a few years. I don't know. It's it'd be tough, but if they stay up playing that type of football is huge for the coaching for mm. the coaching because that's what will keep you up the, mm. the football will keep you up if you've got enough steel to to mi- mix together with it but yeah investment will make it way easier but for investment you're talking 150 million quid yeah, minimum. easily just the 13 points clear at the top of the championship for Burnley 13 is it Ahead of Sheffield United, who actually did make it through to the semi-finals of the FA Cup. Brilliant game against Blackburn Rovers, which they won right at the end, thanks to a Tommy Doyle rocket. Great goal from the on-loan Man City man. Brighton demolished Grimsby, so they're into the semi-finals as well. So it's Manchester United, Manchester City, Sheffield United and Brighton, the final four. There was a Premier League game yesterday, as we mentioned. Arsenal took on Crystal Palace, almost buried underneath all of the other FA Cup drama. But they won comfortably, as we've come to expect from them now, Marley. Uh, and it's uh, an extended points gap at the top of the Premier League to Manchester City. And I'll keep asking the question because <laughs> it's going to happen. They're going to start feeling the pressure at some point. But the fact that no one else was playing yesterday in the Premier League, that might have actually worked in their favour. Yeah, I think it's it's almost like a, not a free hit, but but almost. Mm. Like, you know, it's, 
um yeah there's there's attention elsewhere you know different cup competitions going on you've it's not a, a premier league weekend where you go oh city won yesterday so we've got to win today and that type of thing and you know they they did they had a good um fixture really after after coming off the back of the sporting defeat in quite a you know disappointing circumstances crystal palace with no manager and started decided to line up with um you know anderson with it being injured in the warm up and tomkins coming in you know just like what we were saying last week They've got good, solid pros and they've got exciting young talents, but they've got nothing in the middle of it. Mm. James Tompkins, you know, what is he, 33? He's been around God knows how long, never been any good. Just <laughs> been sort of solid and a bit of a squad player. Tompkins, Ward, a 17-year-old goalie or 18-year-old, whatever he is, they were never going to realistically hold a flame towards Arsenal at the Emirates when, you know, Arsenal are then fully motivated to now go and win the Premier League rather than, you know... Um, have the balance between that and that and Europe, but Arsenal were good. They they put them to the sword pretty comfortably. Did their job. On to next week now. Yeah. They've put the pressure back on City because now it's eight points. It was five. Now it's eight. You know, looking very doable now, isn't it? Suddenly, yeah, yeah. very doable. Fixtures look quite kind to Arsenal as well. Actually, it's just that one game against Manchester City that everyone's looking Got forward to. Playing Newcastle as well, I think. and actually away, not be, not being in the FA Cup. And not being in the Champions League now, or was it Europa? They Europa. Were Europa, they were knocked out of. That's good for them. I think yeah. in their current situation, it's a blessing in disguise because Man City have got this problem now, as they always have, where they're fighting on three fronts. It wound well, me up a little bit, though. People sort of dancing for joy that Arsenal are out of the Europa League. They're more than good enough to win that tournament. Yeah, you don't, but yeah. you don't, you don't wish it. You don't want to be out, but then you look at it and you've gone out and you go, actually, what, what would they want? What, if you were an Arsenal fan, what would you rather win? Why not? Why win? not both? Why does it have to be one or the other? Yeah, because it just, it, it doesn't have to be one or the other. But I think being well, out of clear Europe gives them more yeah, chance yeah, no, that, of winning the Premier League. That's fair enough. But what about the other end of the Premier League then? Southampton 3, Tottenham 3, we've already spoken about. That keeps Saints in 20th spot. They're a point back from the two sides above them. Bournemouth and West Ham, by virtue of uh, the weekend's matches, have dropped into the relegation zone again. But you do have a game in hand over most of the teams around you, if not two games in hand, Jim. So going into the international break... Don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it's, it's not looking pleasant. But then again, It'll Leicester right, as well have played a game more and they're just a point ahead. So, I mean, it's anyone's guess at the moment, isn't it, with relegation? Yeah, it's a horrible situation to be in for anyone who is Crystal Palace or below, pretty much. The, it's still so close and that's kind of the saving grace for all the teams down there is a win or two wins and suddenly you drag yourself out of it. I think... It was kind of like, I don't know whether it's good or bad that West Ham didn't play at the weekend from that point of view in terms of you've got the rest now and then we've got the international break. But then on the other side, then straight out of the other side of the international break, you've got a game against Man City where you're not <laughs> expecting to pick up any points. So it's, it's like you say, it's anyone's guess at the moment. The margins and the relegation zone are so fine and it could be literally anyone that goes down. Every, every week you kind of go, oh, look, it looks like that team's going to go down. Like Southampton looked dead and buried a few weeks ago, but they've pulled a few results out and they've closed the gap. So Forest, they look absolutely abject one week and then they pick up a point the next week. It's just all the teams keep on picking up surprise results and then picking up points off each other. And it feels like it's going to go down to the very final day. And I think there could be 
on that final day, I wouldn't be surprised if there's six teams that could still get relegated. Yeah, it's going to be a hell of a match of the day, isn't it, on oh. that final day? It's going to be that horrible thing where they do the live table and then they flip between each. Yeah. Oh, God, it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Lineker tweets again, and then, uh, then we might get that just <laughs> basic uh, slideshow. Marley's just thankful his side's not involved in it for once, to I be know. honest with you. Four points the difference between bottom place Southampton and 12th place Crystal Palace. According to BT Sport, they say that it is officially the tightest it's ever been between 12th and 20th in the Premier League after 26 games played. Some have played 27, some have played 28. I personally can't remember a relegation scrap that's been this close, Jim. I mean, it, it, if that is official, then we're in for a hell of an end to the season, as we say. Yeah, and I th- like we keep on saying, it's one of the most exciting Premier League seasons ever. Relegation, there's so many teams that can go down. We've still got two teams going for the Premier League title with... 10-ish games left. That hasn't happened that often in recent seasons and the Champions League places are all to play for as well. Yeah, It's good. Loads going on. And also, the last time Arsenal had this many points after this many games, they were invincible and won the Premier League title. (laughs) So, if you're into your stats, then you're in for a hell of a ride. The omens are strong. Are this Arsenal team better than the Invincible? No, don't be stupid. Playing better football? No, are they? Yeah, than the Invincible team. Well, maybe I'll say yes, because I'll never forget the fact that Robert Pires dived for a penalty at Fratton Park. Your Invincible season should never have been Invincible, you cheats. The Invincible season was based all on very solid football. It was based all on a defensive strength and then building from that. I don't think the football was that attractive. I agree, but I think Henri is better than any of the players that Arsenal have in the squad at the moment. I think, (laughs) you know, Henri was just something else. Right, that's it for Football Social Daily today. We'll be back again tomorrow and indeed on Wednesday where we'll be speaking to Jeremy, a former Real Madrid, Chelsea, Middlesbrough and Newcastle United player. He's got some brilliant stories and he even lets us know exactly why Cameroon decided to wear those vests during the World Cup. It's a hell of a story. Looking forward to sharing that with you guys. But from myself, Jim and Marley, that is it for now. We'll catch you tomorrow on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.